We have way too much free content over here at The Grio. Stream a world with free entertainment, lifestyle, and news content. Celebrating Black excellence 24-7. Download The Grio now. It's free. Hello and welcome to Acting Up, the podcast that dives deep into the world of TV and film that highlights our people, our culture, and our stories. I'm your host, Courtney Wills, Entertainment Director at The Grio, and this week we're going all in on the Academy Awards, executive produced by Will Packer. We are days away from the 2022 Academy Awards, and I cannot wait for the big night. I think there's a lot to look forward to this year, especially because Will Packer is at the helm. The FAMU alum behind hits like Night School, Little, The Photograph, Ride Along, Think Like a Man, and Stomp the Yard will be at the helm of this year's Academy Awards. And that means we can expect a lot of surprises and a lot of entertainment. I wanted to know how he got this gig and what went into the decision to select three female comedians as the hosts. I was also dying to hear about some of his favorite movies this year and what he thinks might happen on the big night. When it comes to Black nominees, this year's Oscars has a few first-timers that we're really rooting for and some old favorites that might get some shine too. Denzel Washington is up for Best Actor for his role in Macbeth, as is Will Smith for his role as Richard Williams in King Richard. Anjanou Ellis, who played his wife in the film, is also nominated for Best Supporting Actress, and Ariana DeBose earned a nom for her turn in West Side Story. I am really pulling for Stanley Nelson to win for his heartbreaking and beautifully done documentary, Attica. And of course, I can't wait to see Beyonce take the stage because, duh, like, yes to all of that. When I caught up with Will, that news had not been announced yet, and he danced around it, but, you know, we already knew it was coming. I also wanted to know what an Oscar even means for a Black artist in 2022 and why Will thought that it was important for his perspective to be reflected on Hollywood's biggest night, especially during such a tumultuous time. Sit back and check out what Will had to say about all the things we can expect from the Oscars. Here we go. Will, Will, Will. How are you, my friend? I'm good. It's so nice to see you and so nice to talk to you ahead of the Oscars, which you are at the helm of this year, marking the first time that a solo Black man is executive producing like the biggest night of the year. Pray for a brother. That's what I would say. <laughs> um, but the only thing I would correct, I'm not solo. I do have my partner in crime, my longtime right hand, Shayla Cowan, who's chief of staff and runs, you know, all my companies across the media empire. She's right here with me in the fire, working just as hard as I am. So I'll give shouts to her, but we're definitely the first first all-Black producer team. That's why it's got to work, Courtney. We can't drop the ball, are you? That's right. And we did. We got to catch up with her at the Oscars nominees luncheon last week in Beverly Hills. And I think we got a little sneak peek of what to expect. I'm expecting major entertainment value from you. And before we get there, I want to know like how we got here. How did you become the man you know, at, at the helm of this mission? You know, I think, I think the answer to that probably has to do with my, uh, my career and my track record. Um, 
you know, I am somebody that has been very fortunate to have had uh, some success in this industry, um, making movies that audiences have been drawn to and have connected with. And I think that's what this show needs. And so the Academy approached me. We'd actually had this conversation prior to now. And it never was the right time. And I realized this year, I said, you know what? It's never going to be the perfect time. It's just not. That's just not how it works. And so I, I am somebody that believes like if there's something that scares you, if there's something that you have to deal with, don't put it off, right? Go in, deal with it. You know, if it's if there's something in that house that is a is a, an area of, of conflict or hesitation or tension, kick the door down, go in there, right? Put your head up and go in 110% and wish for the best. And that's how I'm doing this. That's how I feel you have to do. So it was, um, it was, I think it's my track record that got me here. And the reason that they asked and the reason that I said yes is because, um, you know, I felt like I could bring something different to the show than anybody else. You know, I've got a very different perspective uh, than a lot of other folks that have had this job. Doesn't mean it's right, but we'll see. <laughs> it's already shaping up to be different. I mean, just from the hosts, we've got three women, three female comedians whose I think styles are really diverse. I'm equally excited about all of them. Tell me what went into making that call. You know, I always wanted multiple hosts. I, I always knew this is the, the, it's a different job now than it's been in the past. It's a different load to shoulder. Um, it's a different level of scrutiny, frankly. And so I knew that I wanted a multiplicity of hosts with different skill sets to come in and take on this task. And so the fact that I've got three that are three women, that are three women comedians with very different styles, it, that's perfect. Like, that's exactly what I wanted. I, I love the comedy aspect of it because it says to an audience, it's going to be entertaining. There's entertainment this year, right? And so you lead with that, which is what I want to do. And also the fact that you've got three fearless, I might add, women doing it means that who knows what's going to happen? There are going to be some unexpected things. This is live television. But I always feel like, what's the point in being live if you can't, you know, have some spontaneity, if you can't do some things that are unexpected? Like, that's the point of watching a live show. Otherwise, you could just wait and watch the clips on YouTube. I want you to tune in because you have to see what's going to happen. And I'm trying to uh, strategically set up the show in that way. You've got a secret weapon in your pocket in Regina Hall. Like I literally. Come on now. Talk about it. I cannot wait to see what she does. Number one. Number two, I'm already like woosawing my way through my, what I, my expectation is that a whole bunch of white people are going to be like introducing. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that? Is she new? Is this, Guess what, is this guys? her first? Is she? Is this your first time? Did she come up? Is she like, is she an influencer? Who's that? <laughs> like, we know that that's coming, introducing this brilliant black woman who can do all of these things, but like, please. Yeah. But I am like ready for her to get that kind of shine on that particular stage. I am as well. I am as well. I think that she, uh, you know, look, of, of all the hosts, she's the one that I've worked with previously, right? Like I, I am, you know, getting to know Wanda and Amy and they're amazing, but Regina is my girl. Like yeah. we go back, we've done some things together. It's a very successful thing. So 
I knew what a secret weapon she was. And you are absolutely right, Court. She is somebody that there are um, a lot of Americans who are unfamiliar with her talents. But I hope that with this platform, that will change because she really is somebody that is incredible and can do anything, literally anything. Yes. Um, I think it's kind of an odd year. Like last year, Oscars, I was talking to Devon Franklin. We were like, okay, like what are we doing post George Floyd, post COVID, uh, you know, post Oscars so white, um, you know, being like all the way implemented into the zeitgeist to the point that the show tackled it. I mean, Janelle Monet was singing about it in her opening number one year. Um, and now a whole year later, I guess my question is like, what is the temperature? What was the temperature when you did a check coming into the Oscars and us and, um, you know, where we are or where the Academy has come in terms of progress and representation and inclusion? Like, what's your what's your read on that going into this? And what are your goals coming out? Well, look, I will say that the Academy has made some very important strides forward. And and Devon Franklin, just to name check him, is a very big part of that. Like he's doing the work from the inside. And sometimes you you forget just as a populist, we forget that you got to be in the conversation, right? You got to be in the room where it happens to influence the ultimate decision. And so he's certainly in the room. We've got other amazing folks like Ava DuVernay who are in the room. These are folks that are on our board of governors. And I chose to be in that room to try to help influence. I can't control the awards and I can't control who gets nominated and I can't control, you know, that kind of white level of conversation, but I can control the presentation of the awards and I can't control the presentation of the show. And the optics and the imagery is very important there as well. We've got trophy presenters from an HBCU for the first time in Oscars history. I love that, right? It's going to look very different on that stage. And that's a good thing because optics and imagery matters, as I know you know. So I think the answer is we've come, um, we've made some very important strides. And I think, you know, and I know this from working with Academy and working with the Academy leadership that they are definitely invested in continuing to do more, there's a lot more to be done. When you start at such a deficit, right? When you're so far behind, you got to understand that even when you do a lot, it doesn't mean that you're in a good place. It means that there's a lot more to be done. So that's kind of where we are, um, but we're in the midst of it. And I'm optimistic about the direction that the Academy as a whole and our industry is heading. We've already gotten some news of some uh, presenters that will be there on the big night. Samuel L. Jackson, yes. several other people have signed on. I'm still waiting to hear about performances. Like, is Beyonce going to be in the building? Will Packer, <laughs> like, what are what are we doing with the songs? <laughs> it's all still in process. Here's the thing, Court. We are uh, 11 days out from the show, but it feels like it feels like we're like 30 seconds away and it also feels like we're a year away because we have so much that is yet to come together and that is in process, but we have so little time to do it. And that's, that's how it is with every show every year. It's always like that. So we'll see. You know, if Beyonce is going to be there, you know, if Beyonce is going to be there. (laughs) 
we we'll, we will see. We <laughs> we are working on all of that. I mean, listen, I'm 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 definitely part of the hive. I'm a big old uh, B fan. I will tell you that. But of all the nominees, look at these nominees. Look at these musical nominees. They're amazing. So we shall see. We'll see. Let's get into the nominees a little bit. Like, how are you? How are you feeling? Who are you rooting for? Is there anyone you were really surprised by? You know, I can't, because of my position, get into the specifics of like who I'm rooting for, right? I want to make sure that I present a platform where everybody has equal due and looks amazing on that stage. But, you know, I'm team Issa, so you can figure that out. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm definitely rooting for an amazing show that night. And I am rooting for, here's what I'll say, Court. I would love for some folks that have not been heralded in this platform before to get their due that night. That's what I will say. Oh, Anjanu Ellis. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> it is no secret that I am team Anjanu for sure um, on Oscar night. Who was incredible, by the way. I mean, just to talk, talk for just a second, you know, I because I, I'm happy to say that, like King Richard, 100% one of my favorite movies of the year. And what, as, as, as a Black father, seeing Black parents, and especially the way that Will embodied that particular role. But by the way, his role works so well because of the brilliance of Anjanou. So together, as Black parents, the way that, like, and again, I know as a Black dad of Black children, you want your best the best for your kids in a world that does not always want what's best for them, right? You want them to succeed in a world that is not always designed for them to succeed. And it means that sometimes you have to rub people the wrong way. You have to be an agitator. You have to be an antagonist. And that is what it is. And you have to be true to yourself and your vision. And so the complexity of their relationship, the difficulty of their relationship, the beauty and success of their relationship and of those girls, all of that is portrayed. And so they both did an amazing job. And, and so props and kudos uh, to both of them. Yes, yes. There are some other projects I'm really excited about. God, Stanley Nelson is one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. I'm like, actually, how is this the first one? But okay, like I will take it. Attica was so powerful. Yes. It, it was such a fantastic project. Um, I love Queen of Basketball. Like there are so many really cool things that actually did um, get highlighted this year and get nominated this year. So there are also projects though that I feel like very detached from or ones where I'm like, yo, fully watched it. <laughs> and people that I really love, you know, when you can recognize like this is a really great performance, but this story means like nothing to me. It just did not connect for you. Sure. Yeah, exactly. And that's always kind of a bummer. Like, I don't like to feel like I don't get it. Um, but this this Oscars is a little bit, I think, left of center. Like, it's a little bit artsy. There are a lot of films that just weren't a whole lot of like fun to, you know, to watch. I mean, Macbeth. Isn't it like that a lot, though? Isn't I think that... so. I think I usually have more. And, and by the way, just because you don't connect doesn't mean you don't get it. Right. Yep. Because yep. I think, you know, listen, you are you are obviously you're not the casual movie viewer. Right. You are a cinephile. You understand and can receive the intention of a narrative better than most. Let's say I, I'm with you, though, like all projects do not connect with all people. I personally am a fan of projects that connect with a wide variety 
of people. There are some projects that unashamedly are not made for everybody. Yes. They say, listen, I am making this for this very specific viewpoint or very specific small audience. And that's what I'm doing. And I'm going to do it. And you just receive it if you want. I don't care if this is what this movie is, is, is meant to be. And there are people that do that and artists that do that and writers and everything. And that's their prerogative. And the Academy oftentimes does elevate those projects. But I, I um, and it doesn't mean that they're not amazing. It just means that they didn't connect in, a, in the same way. So I hear you and I have heard that. But I think that that is part of what my job is, because, you know, this year isn't, um, you know, it isn't unusual in that respect to have, you know, films that are, you know, artsy, as you call them, or left to center. Uh, but I can't control any of that. But what I can control is the entertainment I wrap around those movies, right? I don't want just people who, you know, watch Power of the Dog or Belfast 10 times. I want them, but I don't just want them. I also want people, you know, who watch Spider-Man 10 times. I want them as well, right? So to me, I think this is, you know, the theme is Movie Lovers Unite. I actually believe in that. I actually believe that Movies have the power to unite us in a very different way um, than other mediums. And I'm all about it. Yes, 100% agree with you. I mean, Macbeth is like that for me. And I saw Denzel the other day. And it's like, I completely understand that you were magnificent. The fa- any, anybody that can play a role, with which every line most viewers know, and make it stand out yeah. is astounding. It's astounding. Yeah. Yes. I also felt like I was in trouble. Like I was on punishment. Like I, I don't want to watch this movie. <laughs> you know, he, he, he knows that I love him. I connected with his work. I just like thought I never had to do that again after I graduated. Like you know high, I mean? high school <laughs> when you had to write your paper in literature in oh. 11th grade, AP English. I yeah, got you. <laughs> it was just like, wow, that was really not fun. That was just not fun, but it was brilliant. Um, and yeah. and so that's always interesting. But I do want to know what you what you think about um, the effect that Oscars have on black talent as compared to white talent. And I asked that. That's an, actually an issue that I've explored several times. I talked to Anjanu about it a year ago. How mm-hmm. awards matter to actors? How it affects their ability to get booked or their check or um you know how much agency they feel like they have and do oscars mean the same thing to a black artist career in 2022 and it does to their counterparts yeah that's a good question i think that um for black artists the 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 kind of quantitative measurements of success have always been different um And a lot of that is tied to opportunity, right? So if you've got a hundred roles for one particular category and three roles for another, well, within those three roles, it's not always about, oh, okay, well, we need the Oscar award winner and we need to pay them their worth for one of these roles. Because if all three are, you know, broad slapstick comedies, right? Eh, that's not necessarily the skill set we need. So Oscar winner, it's only three roles out here. Do you want to play one? And here's the rate, right? Yeah, we know you got the award, but mm, there are a lot of other folks that'll play it if you won't. So it boils down to what are the types of movie that Hollywood is making that allows 
artists, black artists, artists from any marginalized community, but we're talking about blackness, that allows them to do what they do well and truly realize their worth and value for it. In order for that to happen, you have to have the content. You have to have movies that are being made that have the resources to put in to pay those actors what they're worth, to offer them those roles. And the roles oftentimes just aren't there enough. Like, you know, we're talking about King Richard and we have two nominees playing two Black parents, right? How often in the, in the 94 years has that happened? Two nominees playing a couple Black parents, right? It's never happened. And how many times have you even had a movie that's in the conversation? Now, there are a lot of amazing stories, as you and I both know, that are out there. But the reality is that we need to make more of them. We need to tell more of them. We need to be putting more of them on screens, big and small. So um, that's that's the challenge. And that's what happens is that the level of opportunity isn't there. And so oftentimes, this is true of all artists, but specifically when you have a dearth of roles for Black artists, now you're having a conversation where it's like, how do they realize the true value of what the impact of Oscar has? Well, you got to have those roles that they can take advantage of after being nominated or even winning at the highest platform. You know, Taraji famously said that after she got nominated, you know, the only person that called was Tyler Perry. She didn't get the calls the next day, right? And so you know, she did that role. Of course she did. She took it. That was the person that wanted to call and pay her. And, you know, and so that's just, that just goes to, perception of value and opportunity. And they have to meet in order for artists to truly be able to take advantage of a platform like this. That's all I'm saying. Yes. How do you reckon with the, you know, I mean, Hollywood is changing. It's been changing. It was slow burn. Sometimes it speeds up. Um, But, you know, God, you've got like the Golden Globes drama. You've got the fact that we've all had to pivot to virtual, half virtual, like everything has been shaken up in the last few years to the point where you know, I think something like the Oscars, which is so historic, there's so much tradition rooted in it. I think a lot of people, especially younger people, are starting to question how much they should matter, how much, like, what place do these old ways of measuring achievement, what place do they have now and how do they work? Obviously, like, I have my own opinions. I think that they're very useful, but to the common person, um, especially when for a large part of the country, the actual movie going experience has evaporated. Um, you know, they're not going to the theaters anymore. Like, what do you think are some ways that your vision makes all of this current and like relevant to, to where we are now? Yeah. Well, I think it, I, I, that's my goal. You said it very well. That's absolutely the goal is to make, um, a show like this relevant to an audience that frankly just doesn't care about it anymore. Not in the way that they once did. They just don't. But court, the reason is that number one, they got a lot more options, right? It's an oversaturated content environment, whatever you're into, whatever you want to watch, they're out there. So why am I going to stop, you know, halfway through binging the show I want to finish to watch this live telecast of awards. Right. And the reality is that 10 years ago, that was the only way you got to see your stars. You had no idea what they were going to wear. What are they looking like these days? How are they doing their hair? Now you've got a whole nother level of access in the social media digital era, right? You know, literally what park they went to run for this morning and the egg whites they had after, you know, so I'm, I'm connected with the stars and celebrities in a totally different way. So I don't need to watch the show for that. Right. Maybe let's say I'm not somebody that's into the movies that were nominated. That's not my thing. Right. And I got a bunch of other options. We've seen the result of all of that be 
declining viewing and declining ratings every year. So what I'm trying to do, Courtney, is the way that I think you make it relevant is by using movies as the anchor, as the hook, right? Not the awards. The awards are always going to be what the backdrop of the show is. That's what the show is about. But to me, the way that a show like this wins is by having entertainment propositions within the show. That's how you make somebody who is, you know, working in a cubicle behind a desk in, you know, in Dallas, Texas, right? Or shopping at a Walmart in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, like way away from Hollywood. How do you make them care? Well, you better have something entertaining. You better have some reason for me to tune in beyond just seeing what particular craft person is going to win in their category. Nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. But let's get more people under the tent who love movies. And then, by the way, while they're watching an entertainment show, entertaining show, they can go, oh, my God, what this person did with production design was amazing. Yeah. Thank you for that. Last question. How political do you let this thing get? I mean, we're in a, I don't know, I should say there is a war going on. There is, uh, you know, shit is still on fire in a lot of ways. Um, you know, we've got the don't say gay bill, like things are nuts right now. And this is one of those destinations where it's like, yo, we're all in a room together and you're talking to like all of us and all of them at the same yeah. time. How do you navigate that as a black man at the helm? Yeah, great question. Um, I and 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 this this you know may not be an answer that a lot of people agree with, to be frank, but I'm gonna be honest with you. I am somebody that believes that that there are a lot of those conversations that are happening in a lot of different spaces. I don't think this is the space for to lead with that conversation. It doesn't mean that you won't see aspects of it. But I'm somebody that strategically, I like to feel like, let me not give you an excuse to turn off because you feel like, well, this is just going to be another CNN broadcast. Let me get you in, right? Now, once you're in, if there is a way to make sure via representation, via optics and imagery, to try to do things that allow people to see the world in the way that it could be and should be, I'm the person that, the way I got stomped the yard, so I wanted to make a movie about Black colleges. That's what I wanted. You know, I went to an HBCU. I pledged a fraternity. I wanted to tell that story. Hollywood didn't want to make that story. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. They were like, HBCUs, why are there colleges with just Black people? Is that legal? Is that still happening in the South? Those are the kind of conversations I'm having, Court, right? That's racist. Oh, my gosh. It literally, right? You guys know you can go to, you can go to the state school, right? <laughs> so I'm the guy that said, okay, I, A, I, I don't want to make something that's preachy for audiences, and I got to get Hollywood to buy in and finance this project. So I sold it as a dance movie. That's how I got Stomp the Yard made. But once you go see Stomp the Yard, you will see images and important messages and themes about HBCUs, Black college life, fraternities, sororities, all that stuff that I wanted to get in, but I had to get you in. I could have made a documentary that a fraction of the people would have seen. That wasn't what I was interested in doing. I look at this as the same way. Let's have an entertainment proposition. Let's get people in. And then let's have important imagery that shows how the world could and should look and be, especially in a very tumultuous time like this. I love that. Well, thank you so much for your time and your candor today. It was such a pleasure to have you as a guest on Acting Up, and I cannot wait until the biggest night. I will be there I with bells on, rooting for you, rooting for Regina, rooting for so many of the nominees, and we can't wait. Oh, it's going to be great and great interview. And I appreciate you. I'll come on anytime. Thank you, Court. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. 
before we go, I just want to remind all of you listeners that we have way too much free content over here at The Grio. Stream a world with free entertainment, lifestyle, and news content. Free movies, free shows, and so many free channels. Find us on all your devices wherever you use the internet. On our new mobile app, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, and an over-the-air network. We even have a Black Podcast Network coming soon. Download The Grio now. It's free. The Grio. Black Culture Amplified. Thanks so much for listening to Acting Up. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. And share it with someone you know. Please email all questions, comments, and concerns to podcasts at thegrio.com. Acting Up is brought to you by The Grio, an executive produced by Courtney Wills and produced by Cameron Blackwell. For more with me and Acting Up, check us out on Instagram at actingup.pod.